each of us are connected to food systems. So you and I have a vested interest in understanding its workings, challenges, and potential solutions. In my role at Google, one of my responsibilities is to ask, what are the impacts of our food choices? Not just on our individual health and well-being, but also on the food systems we are a part of, our producers, our suppliers, society, and the planet. I believe we all have a responsibility to ask big questions like this one. The answers can open a world of possibility. I invite you to join me in meeting the leaders who have dared to step up to answer these bigger questions to create a better food future for us all. This is Food Lab Talk. Thanks for joining me for another Food Lab Talk. I am Michael Bakker. On our last episode, Refat Dana Gunders set the stage for our season, outlining the systemic complexities of eliminating food loss and waste. Today, we're going to talk about the role of connection and community in addressing some of those complexities. When you think of yourself as an individual in a very complex system, it gets very overwhelming very fast. But if you think of yourself as an individual in a community that has relationships, that has to deal with a complex system, it becomes a little easier because one, you're not alone. And two, not one individual is gonna solve the complexities. Community is gonna solve the complexities. Ade Romero Briones is the Director of Programs at the First Nations Development Institute, an organization committed to strengthening tribal assets and helping Native communities restore and retain their culture. Unlike Western food systems, Indigenous food systems have been around for millennia. These systems are about more than just feeding Indigenous communities. They are a connection point for understanding the way the world works and maintaining relationships with the earth and everything around us. Here's my interview with Ade. My name is Ade Romero Briones. I am Kochiti in Kiowa. So I was born and raised on the Kochiti Indian Reservation that's located in northern New Mexico. I serve as the director of programs for First Nations Development Institute and we are a funding intermediary, so we support indigenous and tribal food projects all across the mainland, Alaska, and Hawaii. Thank you. And for those of us who are not really as familiar with the First Nations Development Institute and its goals, could you maybe dig a little deeper and share a little bit more about the Institute? Yes. You say institute, everybody says institute. Really, this is like my dream job because I get to work with tribal people, not only as people we serve, but at First Nations Development Institute, we're an organization that's led by tribal and indigenous people. And our focus is to support indigenous communities with solutions and funding and technical assistance to develop solutions to a wide array of problems that we find in tribal communities across the mainland, Alaska and Hawaii. Got it. 
in this season, we're focused on food loss and food wasting within our food system. Your work focuses specifically on indigenous food systems. Do you believe there's actually a difference between an indigenous food system and maybe what we would call a mainstream food system? Wow, that's a very heavy, deep and complicated question. And thank you for asking that. I'm so excited to explore what the differences are and similarities. I think in general, there's always the understanding that a food system is a way a community eats their food. And mainstream food systems, which are heavily influenced by Western systems or like Western capitalistic systems, Generally, there are like consumers and producers and now even in more currently distributors. And that system seems to very much support the creation of products that can then be purchased or acquired for some type of exchange. When we're talking about indigenous food systems, everything is much more localized and consumer and producer are probably the same person or same family or same thing. A distributor is probably the consumer and producer. So the linkages between the beginning of the creation of food to the actual consumption is very short. But also the differences really come in the mindsets of what a food system is meant to do. In a mainstream food system, we celebrate when people get food. We have terms like food security and food access because really that's the goal. But in an indigenous food system, we go much deeper in that a food system is meant to do much more than just feed community. It's also the way we understand how the world works. It's a spiritual connection. It's a educational connection. It's a political connection. It's a ecological connection to everything around us. So when you think about a food system having to maintain and address all of these different institutions within the community, it gets very deep, very fast. And the relationship between food the earth and people becomes much more prominent and important when we're looking at indigenous food systems. Wow, that was a wonderful explanation today. And as I live and operate in a mainstream food system, I'm not sure if I can ask the following question to you. In an indigenous food system, does an indigenous food system incur food waste as well? Yes, I think generally we, when we talk about humans and the way we create systems and the way we create our own food systems, it's always, to me, a matter of trial and error. So you're always going to have some food waste, but it's the constant rendering of new versions of itself. So when you have food waste, the consistent focus on reducing that food waste matters. And so when you have different versions of the same food system that is constantly trying to reinvent itself to create less food waste is really important. So when you look at indigenous food systems, and most of these food systems are 
are intricately tied to place and intricately tied to a community. And these communities are most likely in existence in these places for thousands of years. The versions of the food systems naturally get better and better and better in Western mainstream food systems that are much newer. I talk from an American standpoint because that's where I am. They're really not that old. And so when you look at the food systems and the way they operate, the versions are quite young. And so food waste is probably much more pronounced. But in an indigenous food system that has much more time, food waste is definitely reduced. And with that reduction is a mindset on how you approach a food system and how you approach systems in generally. In that in order to reduce waste, you have to incorporate the way you think about the entire system from the beginning. And one example I'll give is that when we look at indigenous food systems and for lack of a better term, distribution points, you have communities that not only figure out how to plant a seed, for example, in the very beginning, before the season even starts, how to care for that system while it's growing, how to account for loss within the growing season, and then how to not only distribute it within the small community, but to ensure that most of the production and the produce from that system is then distributed in a way that the community is taken care of. But in that mindset, you're thinking about food waste almost constantly from the beginning. When I think about mainstream food systems, the food waste, really the thought and the thinking through it really comes at the end, at the distribution point, and when you're measuring waste at the end. And so it's a different approach that really comes over long periods of time. I'm curious then, if we dig a little deeper, what your thoughts are on how applicable the insights or the learnings of an indigenous food system are for people who live in very large cities. Because what I heard you say that an indigenous food system is very much tied to a place that I think is much more complicated when you're in a large city like San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York. Is that just my thinking or are there things that you believe are relatively easily transferable from an indigenous food system to an industrial food system? <laughs> Thank you, Michael. It's a semi-challenging question and very much theoretical. I don't think the indigenous food lessons are easily transferable to an urban or a more industrial food system, but they are transferable. Maybe not easy, but one of the key parts of an indigenous food system as I mentioned earlier, is relationships. Like it creates relationships with people, it creates relationships with land, it creates relationship with all the elements that may go into a food system. When we look at urban communities, and my experience with urban communities is not that great, so please take this with a grain of salt. The relationships are really divided in that 
relationships are not easily grown. For instance, when I lived shortly in New York City, like I didn't know my neighbors. My relationship with people and the land around me was really limited because urban life requires that you live in separate places. You probably have the same routine. You probably use the same transportation system. And so the ability to connect to other people really takes a lot of effort. An indigenous food system, it's required. You have to know who your neighbors are. You have to know who your relatives are. You have to know where your food comes from because that is almost the unit of operation within an indigenous food system. And so not making relationships, that's not a choice. That's not an option. In an urban setting, that is an option. It's almost as if millions of individuals are operating within the same system without knowing ultimately how that system operates outside of how it affects your own life. And so when we're thinking about transferring indigenous values to that system, first and foremost, we should be viewing and analyzing what kinds of relationships are created in the system. And once you start looking at the relationships within that system, hopefully there are ways where more relationships can be formed and more focus is on how that system works around those relationships. So that's to me the number one lesson that can be transferred not easily to a more larger urban industrial food system is the relationship building and how all the individuals within that system operate. But it does require effort. It does require connection. It does require understanding with people around you and the places the food comes from and who actually operates that food system. When I think about urban systems, I think about more retail food systems. I think about like stores, I think about the measure of exchange is probably money, which in itself, money is a way to distance relationship and connection to directly, more direct relationships. So two things I want to dig a little deeper into shortly a day, relationships and your journey into an indigenous food systems. And I want to use the following bridge to get us there. So what I heard you say earlier is that indigenous food systems have unfortunately food waste challenges as well. Could you speak maybe to some of the challenges you are dealing with and then maybe one of the solutions you're working on? Okay. When I think about the food waste challenges in indigenous communities presently, one of the challenges comes from the inability to have access to everything we need to have an operational indigenous food system. In my grandparents' time, when we grew corn in Cochiti, almost every part of that corn plant was utilized from the stalk to the husks to the hair that grows out of the corn to the corn kernels to the cob all of those things were utilized for something in our community whether that be for fuel whether that be for building whether that be for packaging 
for lack of a better term, of some of our foods. The husks were used the same way we would use plastic today. And because we're unable to grow our indigenous corn and indigenous food systems the way we have in the past, we've had to substitute different kinds of materials that serve the same function. So that's creating a lot of waste in communities that probably shouldn't have any. We have systems and we have products that serve every need we may have. But when our indigenous food systems are disrupted and we have to substitute products in order to supplant or to be utilized where we would use indigenous products, we have the introduction of food waste and more waste just in general. And so we're, we're having to figure out if we're not producing that waste, but that waste is coming into our community, we're having to create institutions and systems that would then deal with the introduction of this material that naturally shouldn't or wouldn't be there had we had our own indigenous food systems. And so one of the solutions that indigenous communities in my own community are focusing on is recreating as much detail as possible the indigenous food system that operates with very little waste. So that requires a lot of political movement, that requires a lot of time and dedication from individuals who may have to live or go to outside of the community to have jobs, but the indigenous food system requires time. It requires land. It requires resources. It requires knowledge. And all of those things are needed in the community for our indigenous food system to thrive. And so that is ultimately the solution is to recreate, to rebirth, and to maintain indigenous food systems as closely as possible without the introduction of outside materials. That is so fascinating. I've spoken with lots and lots of individuals over the year a day about food loss and food waste, but I haven't really heard your interpretation and your version of that. I love that. And it brings me to the question, how did you get involved? Why did you get involved? Why is it personal to you? Thank you. This is my most favorite question, probably. <laughs> I was born and raised in Cochiti, Pueblo, New Mexico. It was a community that is considered subsistence farming. I don't necessarily like the word subsistence farming because subsistence itself is a reference to Western food systems. Subsistence meaning that this is the lowest threshold you can have of food or, or any resource before this resource enters into an economy where you can then sell it for profit. So subsistence itself is not the best description of Cochiti, but it I think people understand what that means and that we grew all our food. Everything we needed came from my community. And in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, and that was about the time I was born, my community was the location of a dam. So a, the Army Corps of Engineers came and built a dam in my community. And it was devastating because we lost farmlands. That dam 
several years later ended up leaking and ruining the rest of our agricultural lands. So I lived in a community that was so dependent on our farms, our farmers and the land that took care of us to a community that was devastated because we didn't have access to the land and therefore we didn't have access to the knowledge that the land required of us. My grandparents' generation who didn't have a Western education in the same sense that I do. I have way too many degrees. I have way too much college debt. My grandparents probably made it through high school, if that. But in my community, they basically sued the United States government and the Army Corps of Engineers. And I remember going to these meetings where you had Department of Justice attorneys. Of course, I'm a young kid. I don't realize they're Department of Justice attorneys. And you walk into this room and they have black suits and high heels. And my grandparents would be in overalls and muddy boots and tennis shoes. Like everybody has dusty shoes where I am. We were farmers. And these Justice Department lawyers were so shiny and well put together. And as a kid, I remember seeing them and thinking like, who are these people? How come none of those people are sitting on our side? And my grandparents were in passion. They wanted our farmland back. That defined us. That was who we are, who we were as a people. We were farmers who grew food on this land for thousands of years. So eventually the U.S. Department of Interior and the Army Corps of Engineers offered a settlement to my community for the loss of land. But my grandparents, in their intelligence and beauty and just forward thinking, said, no, we don't want money. We want our land back. And so it took another 10 to 15 years for the drainage of the land because the water had damaged and flooded most of our agricultural lands. and. Today, we can farm on those lands because of the beautiful words and passion from my grandparents. They got our lands returned. And so I ended up in this space because that was such a forming experience in my own childhood. But they taught me something in those conversations is that like land and food and community is everything. So Wherever that takes me in my life, I will follow. And I'm so thankful because it actually brought me here. This is amazing. I'm having a conversation with you. <laughs> wow. I think there are very few of us who can tell a story like you just did about your origin story. One of my personal beliefs is that we talk quite a bit about change makers and change leaders. And maybe not enough about maybe first or second followers. Because in order to drive change, you have to bring people along. And therefore, the role of the first person who believed in you and was going to follow you might have been just as important, if not more important, than ultimately you. So therefore, I really believe there is a role for all to play. And we need all these different roles to truly create lasting and sustainable change. Absolutely. Very well said, Michael. And one of the things that makes me so excited about this conversation and just that is that, and this, this deals with food waste, we live in a society that sort of 
idolizes leadership and heroism and innovation when really what we need to not only reduce food waste, to create better food systems and to create better communities in general is that we need to celebrate people who bring people together and who bring the best out of our community members and who recognize community members. We need to celebrate the people who are not surmounting the mountain, but perhaps helping people climb it. We need to celebrate people who are listening as well as those who are talking. And I find that's very rare, especially when we look at food systems and Western food systems that always celebrate the leader or celebrate the one who's talking the loudest. So I appreciate that commentary greatly. Talking about the complexity of systems, systems are really, really messy and incredibly hard to change. And what I heard you say is that indigenous food systems are centuries old and modern food systems, maybe not so much. Now, when I hear the most recent history with your grandparents and what you've experienced yourself, it feels to me there is a little bit of a emotional conflict between on the one hand, you've told a beautiful story about how change has happened. And at the same time, there's so much more change needed in order to ultimately address the challenge you were faced with. So how do you remain hopeful that individually or together, we can make sufficient progress in addressing, in this specific case, food loss and waste opportunities at a pace fast enough. And it's not just empty talk. Another challenging question. So thank you for this one. I grew up in Cochiti. I grew up in an indigenous food systems. And one of the basic tenets of growing up in this system is that you are a part of cycles and cycles happen over and over again. The characters and the drama may change slightly, but you're a part of cycles, whether that be weather cycles, whether that be food cycles, whether that be community cycles. And I would argue indigenous communities, many of them have been in the place they are for time immemorial. And so that goes beyond centuries. Sometimes Indigenous stories go for before even man understood what time was. And so when we look at the stories that come from these places that are really, really old, the cycles, no matter how long or short they are, are cycles. And when we look at indigenous food systems and where we are in an industrial food system, the industrial food story is very short. And it has excluded many communities who have long standing within the environments that these industrial food systems have displaced. And so one of the hopeful things for me is that in order to understand these cycles, we have to include the people who have been displaced. We have to include the stories that we forgotten are part of these systems. We have to include the experiences and the understandings of these cycles that we sometimes don't realize are there. And to me, that is one very important and powerful solution to understanding where we are within the cycle of the industrial food system. 
the inclusion is critical. It will give us more information as a society than we currently have. And it's a fairly simple ask. It's much harder mentally and I think theoretically to start being inclusive because it requires an acknowledgement of exclusion. But to me, that is what makes me most hopeful because we're here. Like it's a matter of talking to one another and building the relationships that we talked about earlier. You're getting into not complex territory for me. So you're paying it back. So question for you. And I struggle with it myself. On the one hand, I am a systems thinker, and I do believe that so many of the elements in food system are so incredibly intertwined, including food loss and waste. But in order to address it one element at a time, you have this challenge. Do you look for a more longer term system solution? and include all the complex elements you just talked about, acknowledging what has happened and what has caused us to deal with so much loss and waste in our system? Or can you ultimately say, while all of that is true, individuals can, without spending all available capacity on the broader systems challenges, they can make a difference themselves today as well. So this challenge between do you spend time on a more complex systems challenge solution or more tactical? Well, if you just put less on your plate, you might make an impact as well. What are your thoughts on that? That is a wonderful, wonderful question because I think it illustrates exactly what we're talking about, Michael, in that when you think of yourself as an individual in a very complex system, it gets very overwhelming very fast. But if you think of yourself as an individual in a community that has relationships, that has to deal with a complex system, it becomes a little easier because one, you're not alone. And two, not one individual is going to solve the complexities. Community is going to solve the complexities. How we understand the complexities to affect the community and more people beyond us is going to help other people within that community take a role in whatever solution we choose to embark upon. But the idea, and this is where individual thinking to me is very critical, is that we have to stop thinking of ourselves as individuals within a system. We have to start thinking of ourselves as community within that system. And it begs the question, like, what community am I a part of? What community am I in? What community can I contribute to? And it's that community and those solutions that address the more complex issues. But the idea that individually, we can affect this very complex system. It's almost like just being pounded by a huge wave, like it's very overwhelming. And I think that's part of the problem is that we individually have to start thinking about community. Beautifully, Seth. I'm going to move from history to the future. 10 years from now, when you look in your crystal ball, what do you have hoped to have actually resolved as it relates to food loss and waste in your broader community? So what progress do you hope to make? 
over the next 5, 10, 15 years, whatever time horizon you feel comfortable with talking about today? When I think about this question and I close my eyes and I look into my brain and I think, what do I want to see? There's no like definite time frame, but I see indigenous children eating indigenous foods that come from their communities. And so in 10 and 15 years, I want to see that in 20 to 50 years. I want to see that. I think part of the way the indigenous world works is that every community is eating the food that comes from their locality, that comes from their lands that are feeding their people. And we all have to be doing that in order for a balanced system to continue. Right now, that's not the case. There's been many disruptions to indigenous food systems and also the industrial Western system, food system, is it in itself a disruption? Like if if that is our vision of what a food system to be, like I think that's very sad for all of us because there's people who are who don't have access. There's people who don't have money to acquire the food that they need in order to survive in the industrial food system. And there's people who are used within that system. And so when I think of indigenous food systems, I think of communities growing their own foods in their own localities, whatever that may look like. And children and generations sharing that same food. And so it means both having the physical space, the economic space, and very simply the taste buds that are tied to the land from which that food comes. Thank you for saying it that way. One of my closing questions for you, is there anything I haven't asked you today that you would like to share with the listeners? I would say that no matter where you are listening from, there's probably an indigenous history that is waiting to be explored that can teach us more about our current food system than we even realized. And so I encourage and I welcome the listeners to explore the indigenous history and foods from which they're listening from. It's going to be an exciting journey and one that we all need to take in order to change our current Western food system. In a day, one of the questions I always have for people on the podcast as well, is there anything that the audience can do for you? to support you in your endeavors? Yes. We produced a movie called Gather, which is on Netflix or Apple iTunes and watch it. It's a beautiful story about the food systems. The more people we have watching it, I feel the less I have to talk. And visit us at firstnations.org and visit some of the many indigenous communities that we support. There is something beautiful about looking to our past to inform our future. In my conversation with Ade, I was struck by her remarks on the cyclical nature of our world and the importance of including the people and the stories that may have been forgotten in these cycles. Everyone has a unique story with something to offer. We should all consider what it is that we can offer to create a better food future for everyone. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to learn more about the First Nations Development Institute and watch the documentary film Gather. If you liked what you've heard today, you won't want to miss the rest of my conversations this season. Subscribe to this podcast at foodlabtalk.com or wherever you listen to your podcast to be notified when new episodes go live. As we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and inspiring actions toward a better food system for us all. See you next time. Thank you.